Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives This episode is sponsored by Inside Tracker They sponsor every single Fail Forward Friday episode, and I'm so glad that they do. I love Inside Tracker because they helps me get my body right. Because there's only so much you're gonna know by looking in the mirror, hopping on the scale. Frankly, nothing. You're not gonna know anything <laughs> by doing those sorts of things. In fact, I'd recommend everyone to just throw out their scales. It's not serving you in any way, shape, or form. But using Inside Tracker certainly does because they measure 43 different biomarkers that's gonna help you maximize not only your athletic life, but your just your life in general. So whether it's vitamin D, iron, ferritin, hormones, you know, a whole litany of things that matter, not just in our athletic lives, but our personal lives. That's exactly what Inside Tracker is here for. So Let's save 25% on all of your orders at Inside Tracker today by using code RamblingRunner or just going to insidetracker.com forward slash RamblingRunner. Save 25%. That is hundreds of dollars, dollars that are absolutely well spent to make sure that you are going to be as healthy as you can possibly be. So, Fail Forward Friday is something that we do every other Friday, and I am so excited for it because basically— it shows all of us that people who have, you know, quote unquote, failed at a certain point in their lives have then rebounded from that and not only achieved the level of success that they had prior to that quote unquote failure, but actually use that failure as a springboard and a catalyst for future success way beyond where they were before, and that's exactly what these two people did. So uh, so we got Brad. Brad Lindbergh is awesome. He's such an awesome guy. He's a great, great amateur runner. But today, he's not talking about running. So we're talking about job stuff, and that is, I know, something that affects so many people. I've had my own ups and downs of my job career, and it's, I love this story. So, you know, at first, he contacted me. He was like, hey, I don't know if you want to do this? I know it's not running related. Do you think this is a good fit? Absolutely, man. Everyone who listens to this has a job or is about to have a job or just, you know, is in between jobs. And I feel like it was really useful. We also have Shireen Jane on. Shireen is an absolute stud athlete. She was an elite ski snowboarder type athlete in high school. Uh, and I'll tell you what, that, that's really cool to see, especially for someone who is now in the 230s as a marathoner. What a conversion. And she had a crazy injury history early on in her career and something that she rebounded from. It wasn't just one injury either. It was a whole set of injuries. And I just want to say, Fail Forward Friday is in quotes. It's a tongue-in-cheek alliteration type device to get people thinking, all right, let's overcome hurdles and get to the next level. Um, we talked to Shireen about her injuries. At the end of her segment, she did bring up her eating disorder. And I that, that kind of happened at the tail end of her injuries. And as she was getting healthy, uh, she was, you know, something that she dealt with for about a year and a half. Um, and I just want to reiterate the point here. An eating disorder is in no way a failure, not even one in quotes, not even a tongue-in-cheek remark. It is nothing at all related to that. Um, this is something that she wanted to bring up in the episode, and I totally support her on that. Her, she wants to make clear, I want to make clear, this is not at all, you know, we're not trying to make light of any part of that situation, nor 
do we want to approach it in a, with a, a tongue-in-cheek kind of remark, okay? The fail-forward part is referring to the injury, and, you know, with Brad, as you're going to hear from him, again, this is just an alliteration device that we're using to talk about overcoming hurdles. And I just want to make sure and reiterate strongly in the intro that this is going to get brought up and that we in no way are pointing to this as a failure of any way, shape, or form by anybody. So with that being said, let's hear from Shireen and Brad. Hello, Shireen, James, and welcome to Fail Forward Friday. I'm so excited to get you on the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to uh, be part of the show. As you know, we've talked about this. This is kind of a new feature. Actually, you are technically the first interview we've done for this series. So we're actually going to go back to back to back today. I'm really excited to have so many interesting people on the show. This is the first one we've done, and I am so excited. So, Shireen, start us off. What exactly happened to you in your life that was this huge setback that you immediately thought of when, when I was talking to you about potentially coming on the show uh, for this uh, feature? Well, it's, it's amazing. You know, I mean, I think, you know, picking an athlete to be on this show is probably like your best choice because, you know, as an athlete, you know, we all have to go through injuries, no matter what, no matter what you do, you always go through injury. It's kind of part of the sport. It's part of what we do. Uh, it's kind of like a package, you know, <laughs> but we all have our own story and our own path. So, you know, you just have to kind of I think injuries, they suck. Nobody wants to be injured. Nobody wants to kind of be, you know, on the, on the bench and not be able to participate and do what they love. But at the same time, I think you don't realize it then, but it teaches you so much about, you know, yourself as a person, as a runner, as an athlete, um, how much it changes you to be a better person, a, you know, more positive and understanding your body in general. So, in my case, um, it's been crazy. So I used to be a ski racer and, um, I've done that, you know, participated in the Olympics, um, race for Lebanon. So I skied for the youths and, you know, it was just all time every day, you know, go to school, come back and, you know, go to skiing. So having to take care of your body during the time off that you have was very important, but it was also very hard because you have the stress of school and exams and everything. But so going back to my injuries, um, so I still remember in, I was in Oregon, Mount Hood, Oregon, doing my last workout before my big international race. I was only 16 then. And Sure enough, I'm skiing, doing, you know, a couple turns on the slopes, and I just took a big crash. It wasn't anything that I felt it was, you know, different. It just felt, I just, when I got up, I felt everybody was surrounding me, like, what happened? Are you okay? And sure enough, I couldn't click in my skis, so I had to be kind of carried down to the bottom of the slopes. And um, unfortunately, I had a torn, complete torn ACL. And that was my first injury as an athlete. You know, I've never been injured. I've always had little, you know, scratches here and there or like things like that. But that was like a big one. And looking back at it now, all I recall is how negative I was towards myself. Like, it's amazing how you just keep asking yourself, like, why did it happen to me? Why is it me? I worked so hard. Like, 
you know, why me? Why me? Why do I have to sit here and not do my first international race? And honestly, I thought I was done. I said, this is it. My career is done. I'm never coming back. I just would, I don't know. Everybody's going to pass me and you get all those thoughts in your head. And, you know, my coach was super supportive at that time. And uh, I think that helps a lot. Having someone who is, is on the outside kind of telling you what to do or just kind of give you information. And of course, you know, it's, it's hard for us as athletes to accept it. We don't want people to be sorry for us because, you know, we're strong athletes. <laughs> we shouldn't be sitting on the sideline. And, um, but yeah, after that was my first injury. And to me, that taught me so much about myself because the first part, I was so negative. And then I was very stubborn after that. I refused completely to go see a doctor and I told everybody, oh, it's just, you know, it will heal. I'm just going to give it some time off. And I really didn't see a doctor, even so everybody told me it's an ACL, complete torn ACL. All right. I got to I gotta stop you right there. Right. Yeah. There's so much. There's so much here already. This is really. So when you, <laughs> when you had your fall, obviously you're a ski racer. I'm assuming this wasn't the first time you fell, obviously. Was like when you went down, was the fall a lot different than other falls that you had prior to that? No, you know, I didn't, to me, it didn't feel anything different. It just felt like one big fall, but it didn't feel anything different. Um, it just, my skis never came off my leg. So <laughs> my foot, you know, so it stayed there. It was the whole like twisting. And, um, so yeah, but I didn't know. I just stood up and, and I was like, I don't need help. I'm fine. Why is everybody looking at me? Like, it's okay. But, uh, yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. I just thought it was just one little injury again. Now, I'm not well versed in in that world. So, are is ACL is an ACL tear something that's relatively common from an injury perspective? Is this something that like, that happens on occasion? Is it like stress fractures in running, or is this something that you don't see very often in that sport? No, no, that's very that's very normal for skiers. You know, knees are the biggest thing. You know, so but you just hope that it will never happen to you. <laughs> but so, anyways, like. That happened to me and I just, I still remember like looking back at it now, I just tell myself, oh my gosh, like if this didn't happen to me, not that I've, I'm glad that it happened, but if it didn't happen to me, I don't think I would have been the person I am today. And, um, just in so many ways, being positive, understanding my body and everything, because it didn't just go from the ACL right after I recovered from that. And I told myself, I'm coming back stronger than ever. And this is going to be like, you know, I told, I, I said this positive note to myself. I might not be skiing now, but when I come back, I'm going to be stronger than ever. And so that kept me going and pushing myself to, you know, coming back to ski racing. But unfortunately from there, I started again and got injured again. Oh my God. All right. So before we get into that one, okay. So you mentioned before, at first, you were very pessimistic about your prognosis, right? So walk me through the evolution of, okay, I'm I'm only 16, but I'm done to like, you ultimately, like you said before, all of a sudden you're writing yourself notes. You kind of went to a very different place mentally. So what was that process like? And what got you from the negative side to the positive side? Well, um... I started noticing so that one month of ignorance, just acting like I'm totally fine, everything's going to be good. I knew something was off in my body. There are certain, you know, moves that I would do and my knee would just give away. 
And so I was like, this is not normal. So I finally, you know, went to see a doctor and then um, they said, okay, this, you need to operate. That is the only way to get back. And so you start accepting it. And I think accepting the fact that this is what, what it is and putting everything aside and telling yourself, okay, like now I'm going to focus on me and how to get better. And I'm not going to focus on what's going to be next. You know, having the next, just like, oh, will I ever be back? Will I ever be as strong? Can I be competing with all my friends that I see they're succeeding? Like, and here I am sitting here. I think ignoring all of that, learning to put all of that aside and focusing on the main thing, which is getting back in shape, re- doing the rehab just the right way, really helped me mentally just focus on me and nothing else. And just kind of, it's almost like blocking all the distraction on the outside. For teenagers in any endeavor, even just walking down the halls of a school, comparison is kind of the name of the game, right? We're always comparing ourselves to other people as teenagers. Not that it completely dies off as adults, but it's like really heightened in that time period. So how were you able to dissociate from that when it's such a part of living and breathing as a teenager? You know, it's it's hard because I think like I was I think also me being not from the US and just coming to, you know, high school here. And I always felt like I was different, you know? So to me it was, I never tried to fit in. I just enjoyed what everybody else had. I really like enjoyed, you know, let's say the way they speak English. I enjoyed learning more about this and how they do things because it was so different than me. So I didn't see it as a negative. I maybe tried to be like them, but it was always to improve myself and not to just compare myself. And yes, you say 16 is so young, but I think also because of my childhood, just growing up, you know, before that I was two years in France, living on my own with my coach. So I had to re, I was really, I felt grown up at 16. I felt very mature, um, kind of knew what I wanted. And I knew the reason I came to the US was to be a great ski racer and get to education. So I was very focused on that. And um, yeah, so the, the, the outside distraction didn't really affect me much. Um, it just made me who I am. <laughs> all right. So you so you go through all this rehab, right? So we're talking ACL tear. That's a nine to 12 month rehab. That's a substantial amount of time. You just hinted at earlier that all of a sudden we kind of had a double header injury situation going on. What happened after that? So right after that, coming back, it's it was kind of a crazy time in my year because you think, oh, you're so young and this is when you're supposed to be at your top shape. But to me, I just literally went back to back, probably three and a half years back to back, just dealing with injuries. And every time just saying, I will be back, I will be back. And so after coming back from the ACL, I was in great shape, you know, very strong. And unfortunately, I jumped in and I did a speed race and I broke the plateau of uh, the top of the tibia. So just the bone, the top of the bone of the tibia just broken. And um, once again, I'm like, this is not, this cannot be happening. Like, this is unbelievable. And it was the same knee, which is crazy to me to think what is going on in there. Um, and that one was actually a little bit more difficult for me just because there's not a lot of rehab you can do. Pretty much what they tell you is to keep the weight off. So there's not a lot of rehab going on. You just have to wait 
for your body to heal. Kind of like you see like a stress fracture in running, right? It's just exactly. like you just have to, it's a non, you, know, you just have to make sure you take the weight off of it. So when you say it was more difficult for you, when you was that physically, mentally, emotionally, all of the above? I think f- physically and emotionally, it was very hard. Physically, because when you're doing a rehab, it's always, you know, you kind of start getting into it like, oh, today I'm going to go to rehab. Today I will do 20 minute biking. At least you feel like you're doing something. But with this second injury, I just felt I couldn't do anything. I just sat around and just thought about everything what was going on in my body and was just hoping that, you know, it heals after a couple of weeks or it was six weeks, I think. So um, it was very frustrating, especially that they told me at first it might have been ACL again. So it was just like this whole of like, oh, my gosh, don't do this to me. But um, but I got through it. You know, I think once again, it really, really pushed me to learn about myself and just to be very patient, which is something I never used to have very well. I was always like, go, 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 gotta go, you know? And, um, and you start seeing things from the outside because you still want to be involved with, you know, whatever sports you're doing. So you're seeing things from the outside and you're learning at the same time. Like, I don't want to be this way. I'm not going to do this next time. When I come back, I want to be, you know, I will do this better. I will do it this way. So you start, it's almost like injury helps you take a step back to to see things from a little bit farther away, just a big picture of what's going on. And uh, so, yeah, so that was my second one. Uh, came back from that one. I had really bad pneumonia, which that was terrible, actually. I was hospitalized for it. And then um, from there, I was like, that is it. You know, I'm going to come back and just get strong again and, you know, eat healthy and just be this like strong, unbeatable, unbreakable person. And unfortunately, took that way too far and it led me to anorexia. And that's one of the things that I think was very, very hard for me. First of all, thank you for sharing that. That's something that um, I didn't know about. And I, I again, disclosing something like that can be um, hard for a lot of people. So first of all, thank you for, for sharing that. And we're talking about eating disorders and anorexia. It's a whole different ballgame from an injury perspective. So, so when you're talking about that as something that you're getting through and recovering from and trying to get past – what was what was that like and how did that affect you not just in terms of your your you know your overall daily life because this is something that's all consuming but also you as an athlete and you know how were you able to manage the the athletic side or did that just completely fall away while you're going through recovery so when it all started i didn't know what was happening it's kind of my whole goal was to eat healthy get strong get back you know, that was my goal. And unfortunately, I took that way too far. It just started from eating, you know, so little to eating nothing. And I would go days, you know, like a whole day without eating anything and still exercising. And I think, you know, people notice that people notice that you go out, you're not eating, you're just avoiding going, you know, to restaurants or hang out with friends and things like that. So at that time, uh, my coaches started to notice, like, what's going on? You don't seem so motivated. You don't, 
seem like the Shireen that we know, you know, you're not as strong, you're not as happy, you're just always sad and annoyed and frustrated about everything. And um, at that time, my mom came to the US and she stayed with me because she said, you know, we got to have to put a stop to this. And I think also from the Middle East, like we don't really deal with this kind of, in, I shouldn't say injury, with this, you know, kind of anorexia. So we don't really understand it very well. So my mom, you know, she came here and stayed with me and said, I will be here. You'll eat lunch with me. You'll eat breakfast with me. I need to see that every day. And um, I think that helped me helped me a lot because she was a great support in my life, which I needed it. I think going through a lot of my injuries probably led me to this a little bit just because I was depressed, frustrated. Um, you know, and doing this on your own is not easy. So I pushed it too far. Um, but yeah, no, unfortunately, I had to stop completely from working out. I was, um, you know sitting on the bench, just doing nothing. And everybody's kind of, if you don't reach that certain weight, you cannot be back on the team. You cannot be around your your friends. And it's hard because I'm someone that really enjoys being around others and working out and challenging myself. So I felt like there was a lot getting taken away from me. But at the same time, I think people don't understand with anorexia, it's almost a little bit out of your control. Well, it is and it's not because Part of me wanted to eat and get better, but there's this like other part of me, it's in my head telling me, don't do it. Like you're going to be fat. You, you can't do that. Like just don't do it. And so it was very hard to break that, to just separate those two and like be okay with eating something without feeling extremely guilty. And, um, you know, I did see psychologists, you know, someone that could help me get through it and talking to people about it. But at the end of the day, if you don't change as a, like personally, don't change, make that change. Nobody could change it because it's something that it's so hard to explain. You really feel like there's someone in your head telling you not to, not to do the thing, not to eat, not to, you know, yeah, just not to eat pretty much. <laughs> So what did you learn from these va- these these wide array of experiences that helped you become the athlete that you now are? This is you you are an elite athlete, you're doing amazing things. I mean, you're one of the best athletes that's ever been on this show. And you've done here you are, you've overcome a lot. What about those experiences were a catalyst for you moving forward? So for me it was, you know, learning from it. Obviously, it took me probably, you know, I was anorexic for a good for a year and a half. And um, now I look at it, I'm the way I changed was because I saw honestly, I like went back home and I saw a lot of my friends. And one, I think I started to feel comfort and I started to be around people that really supported me instead of being like, What's wrong with you? Um, even my friends were like, We can't even recognize you. I mean, I got down to like 85 pounds. It was ridiculous. Um, if you know me now, I'm like I'm very, you know, muscular, like strong. So it's just crazy to look back how light I was. And, um, you know, and I just kind of had the support. And I think that's number one to have around you. And now I've helped so many other friends because I see it. I see when people are being very picky about how they are, about it's certain behaviors that really 
you, it can be so ignored by others and not, you know, you don't see it. You're like, oh, they're fine. That's how they eat. But then, then I notice it because I've been through it. And I think, I don't want to say I'm lucky, but I feel very fortunate that I, that it happened to me. And now I can help others because I know exactly what they're going through. I've been through it. I know exactly how to help them out. Um, so that's, to me, it means a lot because I'm someone who loves to help others. And so, you know, I use that and I'm like, maybe this happened to me for a reason so I can be that person for others. Shereen, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I can't think of a better person to talk to when we first start uh, this, you know, th- this new series. Um, and I just want to make sure that we re- reiterate this point. We say fail forward Friday. This, no one is a failure. No one is failing. We're using this as like alliteration and we say fail. It's in quotes, like the idea of, I thought I was failing, but I wasn't. I was, it was just a hurdle and I had to get through it. And here we are moving forward. So Shireen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and good luck with all the other ones. So (laughs) it will be fun. I'm excited to hear all the others. All right, Brad, the Strava Kudos bot is here with us today. Brad, what's going on, my man? Good morning. Happy Monday. Actually, good afternoon and happy Monday. I guess I'm nervous. I don't know why I just pronounced it Strava. Did you catch that? I don't know. Usually I say Strava. I'm not, I don't know why I pronounced it that way. I think that was the first time I've ever said Strava. Well, you know, you're on the East Coast. I'm over on the West and we pronounce things differently and that's okay. (laughs) I pronounce those. I don't pronounce it that way either. Uh, I can't say I don't want to get too derailed too early on. I will just say that was pretty awkward. Uh, thanks for rolling with me there. I do appreciate it. Brad, Fail Forward Friday. I can't wait to get into your story. It's going to be a unique one because it's not going to be running focused. However, I'm sure there are lessons to be learned for all areas of your life. But before we get into it, Let's talk about you as a runner. So can you give us the little one-minute elevator pitch um, as if, uh, of you and your running life? Sure. So I was really into basketball as a kid, and my skill set was pretty solid until puberty hit everybody. Everybody started growing really, really tall, and I'm still waiting on my growth spurt. Still haven't had it. I'm waiting on it. Turning 40 in a couple of years, so maybe it'll come. Uh, but at that point... Never made the high school basketball team, so my parents forced me into cross country, which was a gentle nudge to do something else after we ran the Boulder Boulder, and fell in love with distance running, cross country, Uh, ran track for two weeks because I hated it, but found out quite quickly that running longer was my thing, and took a little hiatus during college, had my born-again marathon, which was my second marathon in 2010, and been doing at least one marathon a year ever since. Uh, but did my first marathon, woefully trained for it at age 18, and it was uh, a wonderful, humbling, terrible experience, all of the above. But my uh, redemption marathon in 2010 was wonderful. So been on that marathon train ever since, uh, yeah, 2010, I would say. And now you're not just someone who is an experienced marathoner. You're really quick. You're one of the fastest amateur runners who has been on this show. And you're out there talking smack to Frank Lara and the likes in terms of running Magnolia Road. So it's not, you're not just someone who runs a lot of miles. You're also pretty quick doing it. I like to uh, use the term sub-sub-elite, uh, which would be my category. I don't Basement, get any basement elite? Yeah, sub-sub-sub-elite, maybe. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's a great... Great thing to, to be able to partake in because, you know, many of those professionals, especially living in the uh, in and around the Boulder area, they're, they're everywhere. And we see them quite constantly uh, on the same training ground. So it's a really neat uh, community to be a part of where there's equal respect because no matter what our 
capabilities are and what genes we're born with, everybody's out there working hard equally. And so it's it's kind of a neat thing. And that's uh, part of the this kudos bot story is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are faster or slower. And, you know, kudos are the uh, nice common denominator. You can uh, give a little support gesture to people that, that it means something to some people. And for some people, it doesn't mean anything. And that's OK. No, but it really is interesting because, again, there's so many people that you can look at and draw either inspiration from or be like, oh, I'll never be as fast as them. I'll just find some other hobby. Oh, I hear you. And you peep down on these Strava leaderboards and you go, oh, man, I, I killed my uh, Magnolia run yesterday and I'm, I didn't even crack top 100 on it. <laughs> and for me, it was uh, I called it the fastest Brad time, not FKT, fastest known time, FBT, fastest Brad time. And I did go down the leaderboard and make sure I was the first Brad on the entire list. And I am. So until uh, another Brad, the evil, you know, twin comes after me or, you know, somebody else named Brad who's uh, decently fast, they'll, they'll be on that leaderboard. But it's a, it's a really humbling thing to do. But I like it for that leaderboard aspect where you can set a PR that won't even, you know, crack the top 100, but you can still be equally proud of that. Um, so it's pretty cool to see. But yeah, there are a bunch of segments, I would say, in my neighborhood over here. Uh, that I, I have crowns on and I'll challenge, uh, you know, some of my hobby jogging friends too, because it's, it's all we have, uh, especially last year with no racing. It's, it was a thing that we all latched onto. I love that. Actually, it reminds me of one of the guys that I coach. He ran the Fortitude 10K, which is uh, in your area. And, you know, loaded field, so many good runners. And he's an excellent runner. I think not quite as fast as you, but kind of in the same neighborhood. And I was laughing. I was like, you're the third fastest Michael. The 4210K. I was like, we couldn't find like a, a proper division, but that was a good one. Oh, it was, it was a great race. And that organization knows how to put on a good, solid road race. And because of that, they they do draw out the pros. And there wasn't a purse this year, but there was a bunch that didn't have anything on their calendar. And let's go, well, let's go tempo a 10K or let's just go have some healthy competition. So, yeah, it was a great event. Uh, we caught a good weather day. And I think a lot of people had reasonably good times for an altitude uh, race. For sure. Okay, so let's get into your story for Fail Forward Friday. Let me have it. Oh, I when I first saw your post, Matt, I was like, well, gosh, I've, I've put this story out quite well. And I think it's one of those things that a lot of people, especially in various industries, are a little shy of admitting that they fail. Uh, there's this, you know, egotistical you know, puff out your chest and say, yeah, I was one of those that, that passed its exam on the first crack. And you know, that's something to be proud of, but equally proud are the people that fail time and time again and somehow come back and succeed. So the CPA exam in, in specific is an arduous one and one that many professionals fail at least once. And it's taken a different direction uh, in recent years, just depending on AICPA, the governing body. Uh, feels how to really test and make that license a, a high quality one. So it's been interesting to see all the changes. Uh, my father, who founded our firm, he failed the exam multiple times. And back in his day, it was you had to take all four sections at the same time over two and a half days. And you had to pass every one of those four sections to be able to earn your license. So you could knock one out of the park, but fail one section, and you have to do it all over again. And that has since changed to when I took it and it's changing again. So this is almost past tense already. When I took it, it was four separate sections that I could take individually. And within those, I had to pass each one of those within a uh, 18 month window. And if you didn't, then the one that you pass, it's uh, old and stale, gets 
uh, next, and then you have to retake it and pass it again. So it's been a, it was an arduous process, especially making a big career change. I worked in uh, higher education ever since I was uh, in college. I was an RA, advanced from there um, to managing a front desk and kind of supervising some of the RAs. And then from there, shifted over to academic advising, uh, really helped people make sense out of complicated things, uh, try to whittle it down and kind of provide that that area expertise guidance and giving them a lot of uh, thought around how to plan out their college career. And started working seasonal part-time, uh, just doing income tax uh, prep. And so at that point in time, it was a good transition of life with second son being born and realizing that higher education was going to force me to a PhD, one that I had to pay out of pocket and have to be a nomad and go where the job takes you as opposed to being able to put your roots down and decide where you wanted to live. So at that point in 2015, we made a plan to, to go full-time and I had already taken a handful of accounting classes because, of course, in my seven years of college, two undergrad degrees, one graduate degree, I didn't have a single accounting, economics, business, finance course at all. So I had to take all those on the side and become a professional student again. Uh, so that was a fun transition. But yep, yeah, from 2015, it was working full time, doing income tax prep and uh, gearing up to be eligible to sit for the exam, which was a lot of accounting coursework on the side. Um, and from there, started taking a stab at the CPA exams and decided I would start with a big, ugly one first. All right, uh, let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. But, all right. So before you got into the um, the CPA exams, did you have a clear sense, um, maybe not a clear sense, but did you have an inkling of just the challenge it could be for, for people and specifically the, the challenge it could fa- that, that you could face? Oh, absolutely. And, and like I said, in the industry, it's pretty well known that people are going to fail it at least once or at least one section, that the pass rates are not particularly high, especially for first time uh, exam takers. So you walk into it knowing that it's going to be brutal and also knowing that you're probably going to fail at least one of them. So you can't go in with a false sense of confidence. You have to go in with a decent amount of prep behind you and getting used to how the questions are asked, how they try to trick you and really minding the details, but also putting in a lot of work behind it. Because if you don't, you think you just waltz in there and and ace it, uh, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. And the way the scores are released, it's not a raw percentage. They just give you a number output and they say it's not representative of the percentage you got right, uh, but at least gives you a gauge on what it is. So 75 is the passing score. That's not representative of 75% accurate. We don't really know what that represents, uh, but I remember taking uh, my first section, the FAR exam, which was uh, financial accounting and reporting, SEC type of level, corporate, high-end stuff, nonprofit, um, things that I'm just not in the industry working on. I, I wanted to get that one out of the way, and that had, at the time, the lowest passing rate. So walked into that, finally committed to it after rescheduling the test a couple times because I wasn't prepared, and I knew walking in there, I was not prepared and got the uh, really ugly score. I think it was like a 44. It was really, really bad. And that was that was the outcome. But in that, I knew I had everything to gain in that moment, right? So you walk into something knowing you're going to fail it, you fail it. And at least at that point, you have an accurate gauge as to what you need to do to better prepare the next time around. Yeah, this is funny. You're wearing a Boston Marathon Um jacket right now and it, was, it made me think of the, the boston marathon when you have people who were oftentimes are told like hey 
this is going to be tough. This is going to be really tough. And it's just, you never know what to expect. There's so many people who run this for the first time. And, you know, any any marathon is going to be tough, but your first Boston is going to be tough, so on and so forth. And then you see people who will, like, talk themselves into – they're not – that it that may be true, but it's not going to be super tough for them, right? It's going to be okay. The profile isn't too crazy. I train on hills. Like, what's the weather going to be like? Ah, I live in a pretty, you know, weather crazy area. Like, yeah, this is this is not going to be that crazy. And what if it's one of those great years where the wind's at my back? Like, who knows? Maybe I'll set a PR on this course. And it's easy to even in the face of all of the well-intentioned advice that we may receive, it can be easier for us sometimes to kind of talk talk ourselves around it to some sort of idealized notion of what it could be. When you got that first test score back, were you able to kind of roll with that punch or did it set you back a little bit? Oh, it definitely set me back because it was the distinct reality slapping me in the face of my preparation was not even close to adequate. And it really exposed a lot of the weaknesses I knew uh, but just did not want to put the time and the effort forth. And so that was a, a big wake up call of this is not like most of the college classes I took where I really didn't have to study much or put in a whole lot of extra time. And this was a totally different ball game. And like I said before, it was a big career shift for me. And so there was a ton of imposter syndrome around this where I knew my income tax work. I knew a lot of that. But the other factors of accounting, I just... You know, I always felt like, oh, gosh, I'm not this is not my calling originally. It's shifted now and I'm in a totally different arena. And it's just I wasn't ready for it, obviously. Um, so it definitely set me back. And I ended up failing that exam uh, two additional times before I finally passed it. All right. So I have to ask then. All right. So all of a sudden, not just once, twice, three times. Again, this was a career shift, and this is not something that's just necessarily affecting you, but your family as well. What was it like on the other side of being like, hey, I walked away from, you know, a job that while maybe not, maybe you can set your roots where you were, you know, I worked in higher ed too, and they can be pretty stable positions, at least from an employment perspective, certainly maybe not lucrative. But um, what was that like on the other side of like, all right, the cost benefit analysis of, is this still something that I should pursue or should I just go back to what I was already, you know, engaged in? Sure. I, I knew I had success in higher ed and I knew that at any point in time, you could always jump back to what's comfortable. But I also knew that for the family and my wife also working in education, trying to do the things we like doing and not being nomadic and putting our roots down, that was not an option. And so uh, here, obviously living in the Denver area, Denver Broncos are, you know, a big thing around here. And so um, my dad recalled, and again, he's the owner of the family business. So this is a family business. I had a safety net. It's not like it was a big, you know, dramatic, I got to prove myself in corporate America. He's selling the business and I'm going to be one of the the new buyers. So uh, he always quoted Pat Bolin when, uh, um, no, I'm sorry, John Elway, when John Elway was quoted as to why we were going after Peyton Manning right at the tail end of his career. And they said, well, what's, what's plan B? And he was honest. He said, there is no plan B. It's acquire Peyton Manning or this falls through. And so I've been plan A and no other other plan whatsoever. So the pressure from feeling it from family and not that it was bad pressure. It wasn't uh, a demeaning, you're terrible. It wasn't anything like that. My own pressure has always been the the harshest critic. And I'm sure many people can relate, Rona's included. That was always the awareness of, yeah, you're going to fail. You're going to get through it at some point. How many cracks it's going to take you is really up to you and how much preparation time you want to put in. Uh, but the one nice thing about retaking that exam, that specific exam, as many times as I did, 
every time I increased my score by 10, every time. So I knew I was on the right track and it was just one of those, like the Newton Hills, right? You, you charge up the first Newton Hill and you know you got more to go and you find the crest heartbreak and you hope um, by that point in time, you're feeling as good and fresh as you can to, to power through the finish. So let's talk about the preparation involved, right? You had a certain idea the preparation needed, right? The first test did not go well. And then, you know, those subsequent tests, what did you have to do differently from a preparation standpoint to put yourself in a position to succeed? It really became a priority. Um, running for me has always been that very top priority just for my own well-being, my own pursuits, my own engagement with the, the wider community. And that, frankly, had to take a backseat. And I didn't want to do that at first. I really wanted to avoid that. And so it became reality. After New York City Marathon, I took the necessary time to recover after that great race, had a great buildup, great experience there, and just hunkered down and really put studying as a top priority at nights uh, as well as weekends and just hammered as many problems as I possibly could getting in as many reps as I possibly could to expose myself over and over and over again to all the problem sets uh, that I was facing. And that third retake was probably the worst one in terms of the output because I scored, I think, uh, 73 or 74. It was like, you know, a few mm. points shy. And so uh, that can be discouraging. I will say I was discouraged for maybe a few hours, uh, but I knew that, again, I had increased my score tenfold from the last one. I knew this one was going to be close. and. Uh, as a result, I knew that the next take was going to be the one that was going to get me over that hump. So kind of going all in on that and uh, luckily got through it um, right before uh, COVID hit. All right. So you said you had to get, there's four tests that you have to pass, right? And you can take each of them separately. So you find you got that that first one out, the FAR, which was, the, as you said, it was the hardest one for you. What happened then? So in the midst of all this, I was dancing around because I was starting to get a little I would say stale and frustrated that I was going over the same material time and time again. So I did throw in some of the other sections in there just to kind of open it up and get my brain working just in a slightly different fashion. So uh, I did take the audit section of the exam. I failed that twice and third time finally passed that. That also got passed uh, right before COVID hit. And then the um, business environment concepts exam, I took once, failed it once, and then uh, successfully got through it the second time. And that was the final one that I was able to pass right before COVID. Uh, the one feather in my hat that I will pride myself on is the regulation section of the exam is income tax and business law. I passed that one first time outright because that's the work I do. So that was the imposter syndrome busting um, test that I took. And I believe I took that after the second time I failed far. Um, so that was the one that said, Brad, you can do this. You're worthy. This is the one. This is where you're going to be working. The other ones you just got to know enough about, pass, get through it, uh, because that was just confirming that I was on the right career path, that the income tax and taking over the family firm is, is in the future. It's just these additional hurdles that I have to get through. Now, was that preparing for those exams, was that the most work, sustained work that you've ever done preparing for anything? Professionally, yes, absolutely. It's, and when I say, Nights and weekends, I mean, like two to three hours. And then the weekend uh, prep time was about eight hours a day. And Ooh. obviously putting in little breaks here and there, uh, trying to do um, almost a Pomodoro technique where, you know, you're working pretty intensely for about 40, 45 minutes and then take a 15, 20 minute break 
and then hit right at it and falling into that routine. Um, nowhere in my professional career was, was I ever devoting that much time to something uh, outside of, you know, normal traditional working hours. Now, that is a lot of work over a very long period of time. And did your passion or interest in um, becoming a CPA ever wane at all in, in the face of all this effort? I wouldn't say it waned because there wasn't a fallback option in my mind. It was, we got to get through this. We got to commit to it. We got to get to that finish line. And in my opinion, it was just that full commitment, no matter what the outcome was. And I think as runners, we can relate to that, right? You're in a marathon. Let's say that there's, you know, no T line to jump onto and no exit strategy. Um, you just somehow got to get to the end. And ultra marathoners, I think can really relate to that where, you know, the next aid station is 10 miles away. And unless you want to really, you know, risk uh, getting um, an evac that could take hours to get to you, uh, there's the other option, which is just keep moving forward. So it was more that grit and that stubbornness just to, to get across the finish line, but also being critical of yourself and recognizing that you can't go down the path of insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That, that was the pivot. It was acknowledging, okay, where was I weakest on? The, the, the exams give you a little bit of feedback, not much, but if you're not aware enough to know where your limitations are, then it's hard to change that strategy. So I had to really devote more time to the weaknesses, the areas that I felt a lot less confident in. And a lot of those practice exams and practice tests would really give you a lot of uh, instant feedback uh, in your preparation. So having the, the tools in front of you to be able to better analyze where your weak points are was really critical uh, to increasing the output on the other side. Right. Especially with the whole four test model, it can't just be a matter of doubling down on your strengths and really going for it. Uh, you do need this well-rounded grasp of this entire topic. And I think so many runners can can identify with that. We're like, hey, if we're really good at something, we're like, hey, we want to do more. Well, for two reasons. First of all, if we're really good at it, it's really enjoyable to do, right? And then you also see the success, especially maybe even relative to peers. And that can be intoxicating to kind of fall into that and, and working uh, at our weaknesses you know, you get the kind of like the, the the other side of the coin of those two things, right? Where it can not be as enjoyable and you don't get maybe even the social kudos that you would prefer to get uh, given the circumstances. But like you mentioned, it can be, it obviously can be worth it if you stick to it. Absolutely. And it's, it was just one of those things of just being aware, recognizing, committing, and knowing that, you know, the reward's going to be at the end of the line somehow, some way. And it might be one of those horrific experiences that you never want to do over again, but you can be proud equally of what you got through uh, to get to that finish line. And so, yeah, I have no regrets about this. I, I think it's easy to, in hindsight, say, oh yeah, had I studied as intently as I did early on, I probably would have passed and we would be having a different conversation today. Uh, but at the same token, I know that there's you know plenty in the, the field that are in the middle of it right now and appreciate hearing these actual real authentic stories of yeah, I failed a bunch of times and I stayed committed to it and I, you know, reworked my plan and I was able to get through it. I think those voices need to be heard, uh, that it's not instant success overnight, uh, that there's a lot of hard work that goes into it and it's okay and, and somewhat expected to fail a little bit. You summed it up so well right there. So well, right? Like you, you, you get there and then you rework it. You try again, you rework, you try again. And just because you may not receive the kind of success that you're hoping for at the outset, it doesn't mean that it won't come. If you kind of stick to the plan, rework the plan as necessary and keep on striving for it. 
Brad, very well done. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Appreciate your time, Matt. I uh, hope we have future conversations. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I love these. Every other week, Fail Forward Friday episodes. Again, I'm just going to reiterate what I said several times in the intro. And then again, when I was talking to Shireen, um, this is a quote-unquote failure. And then we were not at all referring to an eating disorder when we, we talked about that. In fact, I didn't know Shireen was going to bring up the eat, eating disorder uh, when we scheduled our call. So I'm glad she did because it's an important part of her history. But I do want to just reiterate that point because I know it can be a triggering thing for a lot of people. And I just don't want that to be something that is um, influencing uh, how someone listens to this episode and Shireen's story generally, or specifically, for that matter. So thank you so much to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode. If you can go to insidetracker.com forward slash rambling runner to save 25%, 25%, that's a huge number, huge, today, and it will help you become your best self. I have no doubts about that. I use Inside Tracker, and I am so glad that I do. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. Just representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.